Welcome to the Living the Writing Life podcast. My guest today is Tyler James Russell. Tyler is the author of When Fire Splits the Sky, his 2022 novel, and To Drown a Man, his 2020 poetry collection, both from Unsolicited Press. His writing has been nominated for the Riesling and Best of the Net and has appeared or is forthcoming in Asimov Science Fiction, Friction, Janus Literary, and the Non-Binary Review, among others. Tyler works as an educator and lives in Pennsylvania with his wife, Kat, and their children. In today's conversation, we'll be talking about how art shapes his life and how his life experiences shape his art. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Thank you, Nancy. I'm very excited to be here. Well, this is great. And and I, I tell you, this is what actually led me to you. I, I read your... Um, tweet that you had on I think it was January 21st of last year and it really caught my attention you you posted after almost 20 years of learning writing planning revising scrapping giving up starting over editing despairing persevering believing my first novel comes out tomorrow and I can really, that, that just really resonates with me and I'm sure with a lot of other writers. So I have to ask you, what kept you going year after year and in the face of what I'm guessing were oh, a few setbacks and rejections? Yeah, more more than a few. I think, uh, you know, anyone who, who's writing and submitting knows it's uh, it's way more rejections than acceptances. Um it's I think trying to write a novel has just sort of been embedded in my writing bones from the very beginning. Um, it, it probably goes back farther than that. One of the first writing memories I have um, is sitting down and writing a a piece of Star Wars, basically fan fiction. And I was probably third grade. You know, I was I was eight years old, maybe. And I remember the the most distinctive thing I remember about it is sitting there looking at my notebook and going, man, it is going to take forever to fill up like 150 pages of this. Um, but after that, I mean, I, I started writing very seriously in high school. Um, and I, I wrote a story when I was probably 15 or so. Um, that I thought was good and I thought it had some bones. And, and after a little while, I thought, well, I'm going to turn this into a novel. I'm not going to let it stay as a short story. I'm going to turn it into, into a novel. And I, um, whether it was a good decision or not, is it, up in the air. But I mean, for the next 10 years of my life, I actually stuck with that um, and and did. And it's it's not published. It's it's a, you know, it's a shelf book like so many people have, it's, you know, sitting in a drawer. Um, but I think embedded in my writing bones is that idea that this is a long process, that this does not happen quickly. Um, and so when Fire Splits the Sky was my third, my my third serious attempt at a novel from beginning to end. And as far as what kept me going, I, I think was just knowing that that is the process that, you know, that 10 to 20 years is a long time, but it is. There are many other writers who have spent 10 to 20 years on on novels. Um, and so I think I just uh, somewhere along the way learned to embrace and love that the, the process of it, not just the end result of it. And, and I think that's so important because a lot of time, a lot of times, especially people who are coming new to the writing life, whether they're doing it part time, full time, whatever, they 
expect to have success immediately. You know, we write the novel, start to finish, maybe revise it one or two times, and then we're going to send it out and it's going to, you know, we're going to find an agent, we're going to get published, or we're going to self-publish it. And it is just going to bring in so much in royalties that we need a Brinks truck, right? (laughs) And then when it doesn't happen, they're so shocked because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think too often there's too much attention paid to those those writers who have relatively fast success mm-hmm. you know they they write their first novel when they're 18 get an agent when they're 19 and they're on the bestseller list and so the rest of us you know if we're not careful we we look at that as the norm not the exception right and and it is it's a process and I, you know, and, and I, I think one thing also is I can't imagine the burden that would come with that success that some of us want. Um, you know, I, I think you can look at it and absolutely pine for that kind of success. But I know personally, I think I, I think that would have been a disaster for me if, if I had published novels as early as I wanted to be publishing novels. Um, th- that would have changed. I think my process, my maybe creative integrity, I don't think I would have known what to do with the success that I wanted. Um, But, oh, absolutely. I think uh, there is such a emphasis sometimes on those writers who are finding commercial success very, very early in their careers. um, And that is an extremely rare thing. Yeah, it's it's. And you and you're right. If you if you do have that, how do you follow up with it? You know, it's like if your first book is a runaway success, what about the next one? You know, I mean, that could be almost more paralyzing than if you do it the other way, which is okay. The first book came out, eh, it didn't get totally panned. Maybe you got you know some royalties, whatever. You got nowhere to go but up. But when you mm-hmm. when your first one is already up. You got nowhere to go but down sometimes, you know, it's it's a little frightening because not only does the public expect it from you, and of course, if you are traditionally published, your agent and your publisher expects it from you, but you expect it from you. And then if the next one is a tougher sell all the way around, I mean, then you start questioning yourself. Whereas if you've been rejected one or two or 20 or 50 times, then it's kind of like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, I'm used to it by now. You know, I can roll with this. It's not quite as painful as, you know, the first 10. But I I think that I think that is an important point to make is that it it is the way it goes. And it is the process. And we learn as we go, right? You learn each time that you were working on either revising one of the novels or moving on to the next one, what to do, how to do it better, how to improve. You know, it's mm-hmm. a constant improving process. You know, now we're at the stage where you have two books out. You've got the one that came out in 2020, the poetry collection, and and then of course the novel in 2022. So now you're officially an author. Now somebody can walk into a bookstore and either find your book on the shelf or at least order it, right? Um, how do you feel? How how do you, where are you at now on the, am I a real writer now? Am I a real author now? Where are you at on that? 
Well, you know, it's 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 a weird question because, like I said, I have been dreaming about that feeling of seeing my name on the physical spine of a book for, you know, for more than 20 years. And I don't want to say it was anticlimactic because it wasn't like it, it was very, very meaningful. But I think more than anything, what I realized is, oh, I have been a real writer and a real author for a long time. Um, it was not something that happened when my name went on a book. It was something that happened somewhere along the way. And I didn't even realize when I sort of crossed that threshold. Uh, but somewhere long ago, I think I was an author, a writer. I don't know what it takes to, to make that be official, but I, I, I realized that I did not feel any different or more confident in sort of adopting that label uh, because I I was whatever we want to call it I was, I was worthy of taking up that mantle uh, years ago um, and 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 that was kind of liberating you know that was kind of freeing because I, I think it was more of an internal process than anything else that that's true I mean so often and I'm sure you've had this experience too where you're talking to other writers who have not yet been published whether they're writing short stories or books or whatever and they go, I'm trying to be a writer. And then you mm -hmm. say, well, are you writing? Yes, I'm writing. You know, I've done this many. I've submitted them, haven't been published. So I'm not a real writer. But, you know, as long as you're writing, you're a real writer. It's not the publication or the awards or the money that makes you a writer. It's the practice of writing. If if you're writing, you're a writer. I think that's that's what it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I... I, I waited a long time for that but i think it's something that you know that many of us could comfortably adopt much earlier in our in our careers i think it would make a difference too because when we say it when we say i am a writer then and it, and we make it official and we internalize that then we're more likely to be willing to spend the time and proceed on without worrying about is it going to get published? Am I going to make any money? Which tends to be the basis for everybody's judgment on whether or not you're a real whatever it is. Oh, are you earning any money? Um, you know, that type of thing. I, I think it is important uh, to, to say it because if we say it, we are... Um, we're almost obligating ourselves too to follow through. You know, there, there's no waffle room there. You know, if you say, well, I'm trying to, well, then that allows you to say, well, I don't feel like writing today. But if you right. say, I am a writer, well, you're a writer, you know, yeah. no screwing around. <laughs> if you're a writer, you better be doing it, right? Absolutely. You know, um, you had an interview and uh, the question you were asked is, why do you write? And you say, uh, because art shapes our lives. So how has has art, how has writing shaped your life? I think it's it's kind of a twofold process um, because I think equally important to the writing is the writing that you're taking in. Um, and so I think my whole life, you know, the writing that I have taken in and read, they've it's such a kind of a, a a magical alchemy where where these are are sort of mentor figures in your life. You know these these books have been mentors to me, not just in in writing but in in life itself for years. Um, you know, and I, I saw an interview with George Saunders where he talks about the magic of you know Tolstoy, who 
is is dead and in completely different life circumstances can really speak directly to you. Um, and so that has been such a huge role in my life from the time that I was very, very young, um, just personally, you know, experiencing books, um, impacting and and not just changing my life, not just that, you know, the right book came along and my, my life was one way before, but, you know, slowly molding it with kind of the, the attention of mentors over over long years. Um, and then writing has just been this companion, this, this way of asking questions about the world and exploring the world and, and, uh, you know, discovering new things about, you know, my own place in it and, and how I feel about something. Um, and so both of those things together have just been a huge, uh, you know, a, a huge influence on the way I see the world and the way I interact with it. Mm-hmm. Um, as a follow-up to that question, how have your life experiences shaped your art? Do you sometimes find yourself using poetry or fiction to explore events that you've experienced as a way of coming to terms with them or understanding them more fully? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Rarely consciously. Uh, I, I think it's one of those things looking back. I'm, I'm always trying to take up the project. I always have too many writing projects going on at one time. Um, and my litmus test is always kind of which one challenges me the most or which which one can I not quite get a handle on or get away from? Which one continues to haunt me maybe is the best way to put it. Um, and then looking back, I, I often realized like, wow, I was really, that was, that was not challenging me as the writer. That was challenging me, the human. Um, and so looking back, sometimes I see myself grappling with my own experiences um, in a way that I, I didn't really consciously recognize that I was doing at the time. My poetry tends to be a little more um, not autobiographical, but more, you know, grounded in realistic experience where my fiction tends to be a little more out there and a little more speculative. Um now I did just have a poem come out in, in uh, Asimov science fiction. So take that for what it's worth. It's not, it's not always the case. Um, but I think especially in my fiction, you know, if, if I, if I have a, a concept that's out there a little bit more, you know, when fire splits, the sky takes the, takes place in the middle of what is maybe the apocalypse. Um, but my characters are always somewhere that's close to home for me. Um, it's not me necessarily, but maybe I've taken, you know, something I've felt at a at a three and I've turned the volume up to, to 15 or something on it. Um, so I'm always trying to establish that personal connection, both as a way I think of self-exploration, but also as it's probably the best way to get to know a character um, is, is just to try to find any similarity that you do have with them. Yeah, I, I can I can certainly relate to that. You know, it was it was interesting. Um, you know, I started out as a short story writer. Not not that I consciously chose that. It was just like a normal way, even from when I was little. I think I wrote the first my first thing when I was in eight when I was eight years old. But um I found as an adult there were certain topics that kept coming back to me, uh, loss and death, and specifically about my parents long before they were sick. And it was almost like, you know, you know, at some point your parents are going to die, right? You just know that. 
And because I was so close with both my parents who are now gone, um, the idea was, was devastating to me, right? Because I would think, oh my God, what, what if I woke up tomorrow and mom's not there anymore? Dad's not there anymore. So without doing it deliberately, I kept touching on those themes of loss and death. And it was almost like I couldn't, because I couldn't really handle the idea of my parents being gone in real life, I sort of snuck up on the idea by making my characters having to experience it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it helped when I lost my mom and then when I lost my dad, but you sort of, you just kept doing it. And and I don't know if if that is something that you have found where, where certain ideas that, you, that you're afraid of happening to you in real life or losses, you kind of can more safely explore them through your writing because they haven't happened to you yet, you know? So it's almost like, let the character deal with it. I think it's, it's often, you know, ab- I mean, absolutely. I think it's almost like all, all literature probably is, is almost a way of practicing for life. You know, you are, you're experiencing, you're going through um, almost always crises of some kind uh, vicariously, whether it's through characters uh, that you're writing or characters that you're reading. Um, I'm a big proponent of sort of returning to what you care about. Um, And so if those things are sort of returning to you, I definitely notice, you know, recurring patterns and themes um, in my short stories. I seem to always be writing about uh, characters changing, um, whatever that means. That could be a, a character deciding, you know, Ben in When Fire Splits the Sky kind of has a realization he wants to turn his life around. Uh, I have one character who, in a short story who um, turns into a goat and, and is slowly turning into a goat. And so that change is a big thing that I notice a lot. Um, you know, shame and and hiding, um, trauma, memory, things like that. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that there's there's a lot of craft and conscious skill and studying and practice you do as a writer, but I think equally important is the role of really just your subconscious the whole time, and I think your subconscious is sometimes taking you places that you don't know you need to go. Uh, but it's it's best to follow. That, that, that's really so well put, taking you places that you don't even need, you know, knew that you needed to go. But, you know, sometimes sometimes we got to follow it. Um, I want to talk a, a little bit about your poetry collection. Um, what was, well, first of all, is there an overarching theme to the collection and what was the inspiration for some of of the poems any in particular that you want to share yeah um the i'm i was writing uh for most of my life i've really focused on fiction um and then before i started either of the the books that i have published now i i was getting to a point in my life where um you know i writing had kind of been a a thing that i did and it kind of became a barrier between myself and other people. You know, it was a it was a skill. I, I wanted to be known as a good writer and I wanted to look like a good writer. Um, 
but through that and, you know, many other ways, I realized kind of how I was keeping people out of my life rather than inviting people into my life. Um, and so after writing, you know, daily for a long, long time, I actually stopped for a while. Um, and then, you know, it was a whole other interesting story of, of picking that up again, uh, but kind of going, I got to stop this for a little while and sort of reevaluate my relationship to writing. Uh, my relationship to myself, you know, a, a whole lot of things I needed to reevaluate, but my relationship to writing was one of them. Um, and then the poems in that were some of the first things that I wrote as I was picking it up again. Um, and so sort of vulnerability and transparency um, were big, are big themes in the collection, um, just because they were big themes for me at the time. And they were things that I was really trying to focus on and put into practice um, both as an individual and as a writer, I wanted to be writing things that were um, kind of scary for, for me to write, or uh, I wanted to write in a way that was not, it's not a flashy poetry collection at all. Um, it's pretty direct. It's pretty straightforward, I, th I think. Um, and so I tried to sort of imitate that because those were the things that I wanted to be writing about. And so I wanted to, I wanted that to be reflected in the style of the collection as well. Um, so it was a very interesting time. I didn't know that I was writing a collection at the time. I, again, one of those things where I looked back and I went, wow, I've been writing all of these poems, not about the same thing, but it, they're all looking in at the same thing from different places. Uh, that's that's fascinating. Yeah. And, and I find that really interesting that you took that break. And instead of going back to writing fiction, you went in a completely different direction um you know that that is something worth noting for the rest of us who tend to we get in our lane and we stay in our lane god forbid we move out of our lane and i mean sometimes that's good because it is a way of continuing to perfect that particular form but um other times it you know it it doesn't hurt to shift it a little bit. And the fact that you categorize it as your fiction was separating you, but your poetry was, was making you more accessible to people. I, I think that that's a really interesting idea and, and a good reason why maybe we should every now and then jump lanes and try something a little bit different. I'm a I'm a big proponent of that. Um, I got my MFA from the University of British Columbia. And one of the reasons that I I, I chose that program um, was they had a three genre requirement. Um, and so you had to be writing and taking courses in at least three different genres. I think I ended up taking at, at least four. Um, but that was so just liberating to kind of have, um, you know, some some conversational comfort in uh you know in poetry and creative nonfiction and fiction writing and i i took a uh some i did some screenwriting work as well and it's it's sort of all a mess on the same plate uh you know i i think in my head now it's it, it's all one big messy plate. There are not barriers between them. And so what I learned in in, in writing poetry has absolutely translated to my fiction um, and, and vice versa. And so I think sometimes taking something and looking at it from a slightly different perspective than maybe your comfort zone is, is absolutely a good thing. 
Yeah, that, that certainly sounds like it worked for you. Um, let's talk about your novel, When Fire Splits the Sky. So what is the book about? Don't you love those questions? What is your book about? So my uh, my my partially tongue-in-cheek answer, it is a mid-apocalyptic uh, psychological road trip thriller. Uh, it's a it's a couple, um, Ben and Miranda, who are, a, they've been married for about a year. They're about to divorce. Um, ben is uh, a, an absolute mess. And uh, Miranda is a trauma survivor with multiple personalities. They're they're about to, to split up, which is probably going to seem like a, a mercy to both of them. Um, and then there's sort of a, an unspecified cataclysm. And so they, they wind up stuck in the same car. Um, and so they are stuck in the same car with their interpersonal trauma, their uh, historical trauma, and then the you know ecological, maybe worldwide trauma around them. Um, and so they are they're traveling from from Juno to Anchorage, stuck in the same car. Um, and uh, you know they they sort of uh, they're they're pursued. It's it's a thriller. There's a whole lot coming out along the way. Um, but at heart, it's the story of those two um, and their their marriage. Uh, yeah. It, and it their, their, their marriage uh, either crumbling or or reforming. Ah, it definitely sounds like a story about the journeys, you know, the, the, the physical journeys, the internal journeys, the relationship journeys, you know, the roadblocks, speed bumps, detours really ugly big potholes that you fall into it's uh it it sounds fascinating i mean you know i mean every you read so many times about you know the couple having issues but when you start throwing in those extra little things um <laughs> those little fun things that occur you know apocalypse um yeah i mean it 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 really sounds like um uh like a fascinating it, it was an interesting genesis of, of ideas for me because I kind of felt like when I hear it described, it, it it feels sort of like I'm just throwing everything into the same book that I can think of. Um, but they kind of all came together for me at the start. Um, and I, I, I was in some workshops at the time and I was kind of pitching this idea around at the time. And I had a fair number of people who were very talented writers whose opinions I trust tell me you got to take one of those things out. Like you, you can't do the trauma and the apocalypse, or you can't do the apocalypse and the marriage. Like you've got to do two of these things, not, not three or four. Um, but something about those things sort of came knotted together for me. Um, and so I kind of knew that if I took one of them out, the whole knot was going to fall apart. Um, and so it's not nearly as busy as it sounds, I don't think, um, because they are all so intricately interwoven from the very beginning of the writing of this. You know, that you bring up an, an interesting point. I mean, uh, a lot of times when I talk to other authors and they say about, um, you know, that they're part of a writing group or they take things to workshops and that and get really good feedback. And sometimes if we're not, feeling very secure in in our writing process and somebody said well like you said take take one of those out right then then it, then you could 
if you're insecure, you could say, oh, they must know better than me. But, you know, I, I find it interesting that you felt confident enough in your decision to stick with with the way you had envisioned it, um, you know, because it that's not always easy. You know, we we question we question ourselves through the entire writing process. Heck, we question ourselves when the novel is out and say, oh, God, should I have done it that way? You know, what if they hate it? But, um, you know, what? it was just really interesting that you were that that confident um, in what how you had perceived it, um, that you needed to keep that together. Yeah, I don't I don't. That was definitely uh, probably a big transit. You know, we, we talked early about the transition from I'm trying to be a writer to I'm a writer. Um, that was definitely not my uh, my my standard M.O. for my entire life. I, I I definitely am still prey to all of those writerly insecurities. But I think that was an important transition moment for me as a writer. I'd, I'd been writing and not publishing novels for a long time for you know more than 10 years probably at that point and i think something about it i i just i knew that and it was one of the first times i think that i was um developed enough as an author to recognize i know they don't see how this project could come out but i think i can see it now and i think i want to pursue that even if i'm not entirely certain about where it's going to go that tends to be an exciting place for me as a writer now where I'm looking up at this project and going, I'm not entirely sure this is possible, but I really want to try. Um, that's one of the most motivating things for me. So I think it was both I was lucky in that I didn't try to pitch this novel to anybody too soon. Um, and also, I think the confidence that I could pull it off was an important step forward for me as a writer then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that um that does that kind of shifts things. You know, it's it's not that it's not that we shouldn't listen to other people's opinions, at least, you know, take them in, weigh them positive, negative, whatever. But I you know, I know what you mean when when you when because I've had that happen to me even even with some of my short stories. And you know, you you give somebody the the elevator speech of the short story and they're like, eh, I don't know, or I'm not so sure about that ending. But when you know, when you know it's right, it, you got to do it because otherwise it's not going to be as good. You know, you, you have to almost follow your writer's instinct and, mm -hmm. and you know that in you, in your case, you knew that how you had conceived of this and the, and the components of it, they all needed to be there. They all had a place in the story. So, um, yeah, I, I think that is, I, I think that's, that's interesting. Um, you know, and, and I think it does come with time. You know, I oh. think when you're first starting, it's easy to say no or take in somebody's uh, opinion as having more weight. But I think after you put the time in, you have a little more confidence in your own judgment too. Absolutely. And I think, you know, early on, uh, you know, were I to be rejecting 
some of the the feedback and advice I got, and it, it would have been foolish. I mean, even this, you know, this is one piece of advice that I got uh, from this group out of hundreds. And, you know, so many of the other pieces of feedback they gave me on this absolutely made it a better project than I could have done on my own. Um, but I, I had sort of gotten to the point where I could filter some of those things more easily than I could have, you know, even a year or two years before that. I, I knew I had gotten somewhere later on when um, somebody was said they were reading an early draft of it. And, you know, somebody came along and said, well, hey, what are you reading? And he said, well, I'm, you know, it's this book about uh, this this woman who has DID and her husband and they're going to break up, but it's the apocalypse. And so they're stuck in the same car and the person made a face. And he went, no, 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 it, it actually totally is working. Um, and so I, I knew once I got there, once I presented the pieces, um, you know, it could it could work as the story that it wanted to be. Well, it sounds like it certainly did. Um, I had read your interview on Medium and uh, in it, you said that you desire for one person to read your novel and then not commit sexual violence or abuse, as well as for one survivor to read this and feel seen. Why did you choose that topic to explore in the novel? That's a that's a really good question. Um, it was something that had been on my mind for a long time. Um, this is something that I started. Um, you know, I was well into this project before. Um, you know, sort of the the Me Too moment happened, and we started to have these conversations more openly. Um, I mean, long story short, I was friends with somebody um, when I was in college um, who eventually, you know, told me that they they had DID. They were a survivor of trauma. And it was something that I just continued to kind of sit with um, and process and have questions about and explore more and read more about. Um, and it, it kind of became this thing that I cared about a lot and wanted to explore more and write about more, but I, I was kind of afraid to start. Um, and so I'm a teacher, I teach writing and I, you know, tell my students all the time. I give them the, the old Annie Dillard quote about you should write what you want to write, what you would write if you knew you were dying, um, you know, and, and write what you would write if you were writing for a terminal audience. And she says, because that's the case, you know, we are dying and everybody else is going to die too. So what do you want to say with your time? I mean, I realized that I wasn't taking I wasn't taking her advice. I was giving the advice to other people, but not doing it myself. Um, so I I, I kind of start I I realized I was going to have to try it if I was going to try it. And so, you know, I I was able to give uh, a drafts of this to my friend along the way. I was kind of always able to be part of a cycle of feedback and revision. Um, but I knew it was a really a life and death thing to be writing about that I wanted there to be more conversation about it. And so I thought, well, how can I not, you know, throw my hat into the ring, so to speak? How can I not say my little piece about this um, and expect other people to do that? So I I, I wanted to do my little piece of, of trying to engage in some of those conversations and at the same time have that over my head as maybe this can help one person. So I was never really thinking like, maybe I can retire with this kind of money, but I was hoping that I could, um, you know, have this be read by somebody. It was absolutely the book that as I was um, 
you know, as I was having these, as I was having these questions, as I was thinking about this, this is the kind of book that I wanted to exist and didn't exist. So I wanted to help pull one into the world. Mm -hmm. Did you have a hard time get given the topic? Um, did you have a hard time maintaining an emotional balance? Because I, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes when I put my character in a really traumatic situation, um, for one thing, I feel horribly guilty that I've done that, you know, because to us, they're not people on paper, they're people, right? And and so, you know, we we become so enmeshed with them. So did you have a problem maintaining your uh, emotional equilibrium when you're doing this, writing about this happening to a character that you care about? Yes. Um, I, I tried to be very conscious of that the whole time. I, I was definitely writing this in sort of short, intense bursts. Um, it's not something I was sitting with for, um, you know, for huge hours long writing sessions. Um, I, I began it as a screenplay. There was one one day where I wrote most of the middle portion of it. Um, kind of in in an evening, um, you know, it was kind of like one long six, seven hours of kind of getting it all out at once. And other than that, it was a lot of like small sort of intense focused writing sessions. Um, I was working with Maureen Medved at the time, um, who's a, a, a Canadian novelist at at uh, at British Columbia. And she had so many fantastic exercises that she put me through uh, with some of this like character, um, you know, inhabiting a character because not only is it is it um, is it heavy on the characters, it's also very close. It's third person, but it's a very close third person. Um, so it's about as close to being in their heads as you can be without it being first person. And she gave me so many great writing exercises uh, that were almost, you know, like method acting of trying to inhabit this character. But then she equally stressed, then once you're done, you've got to give yourself transition time. Like you can't close the laptop and then open the office door and and, and go be with your kids. You got to give yourself some transition time to go from this person's headspace to your own headspace um, and allow yourself to kind of not leave it behind you, but make it a gradual transition, not a quick one. At the same time, um, I recognize, you know, it's a, a a book that is going to take trauma seriously is a big ask for any reader. Um, it's also very much a thriller. And so I, I definitely worked hard to kind of wrap this in a very digestible package um, that is going to allow people to engage with the topic, take it seriously, um, but also really be propelled through it. Um, you know, so there's there's little sort of like grace measures of we're going to do short chapters. We're going to break from one point of view to another point of view. Um, we're going to we're, we're going to move through the story very, very quickly. Um, and so I think that is. I'm not writing this book for only someone who is versed in trauma to be writing about it. I'm, I'm writing this and I think it's approachable. Um, for somebody who has maybe never thought seriously about trauma before to come to this and, and hopefully empathetically understand it in a new way. 
That's fascinating. Yeah. And, and I do like that idea of taking, taking a little bit of a, making a transition time, because I can see where that would be, um, especially when you're in so deep like that, that you almost need to, like a cleansing type of breath or whatever you want to call it, but to leave that, that particular world and those characters, and then just, you know, move, take a little break and then move into the real world. Because sometimes the world that we're inhabiting with our characters can seem more real than the real world. And Mm -hmm. it is, and it is hard. It's hard to, to let, let it go. And, you know, you've just had this awful thing that you wrote that dealt with, you know, that this character experienced. And it's like, okay, let's all go out and have burgers and ice cream. Right. It's like, ah, I don't think so. It was, it was also counterintuitive for me because, you know, I'm a person who, who writes on a schedule and who tries to kind of carve out times to write in a busy day. And so my, my instinct is I have 45 minutes to write and I'm going to squeeze 45 minutes and 30 seconds out of that. And this was a lot more, okay, I have 45 minutes to write, which means I'm going to write for 30 minutes and then I'm going to give myself 15 minutes. Um, So it was, it was sort of a personal practice as well to, I can't write this in pure productivity mode. I've got to hit a balance here um, between, you know, actually composing it and then also uh, allowing myself as a human to process that and then move on, you know, uh, move out of this um, back into, you know, my life as it is. So I have to ask you, um, what did you do in those 15 minutes? How did you, for the rest of us who maybe never thought about it, but now see the value of it, how did you make that transition? What what did you do to gradually come come away? Sometimes it was as simple as just stopping. You know, maybe I'm just going to stop and maybe I'm going to organize myself for tomorrow. Uh, maybe I'm going to organize what's coming up next. Um, maybe I'll just outline a little bit so that I can come back to it fresh the next day. Um, sometimes it was going to be I'm going to stop and I'm going to read for a few minutes instead, or you know I'm going to I'm just I'm going to breathe. I'm going to meditate. Um, it was really anything other than trying to be in this person's head as deeply as possible. Um, so I think probably it, it would have been best had I consistently done something entirely different. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a big believer in meditation, even though I I don't do it <laughs> nearly as often. Uh, so it probably would have been a great thing for me to do. Um, but even if I couldn't turn that productivity side of myself off, at least I can outline, I can organize, I can get a few notes ready to go, as opposed to just trying to really inhabit thought by thought what this person is going through. So a little more, what is it? Left brain is logical, right brain is creative, right? So you sort of sort of let the right yeah, brain go so. and go to the left brain part because that's that's not as emotionally involved at that point oh, absolutely yeah uh, well since we are talking about writing process um i want to talk a little bit about the fact that you do write both poetry and fiction is your process different when you're writing poetry as opposed to when you're writing fiction yeah, I was actually just talking with somebody about this today. I, I definitely write a lot more fiction. Fiction sort of a daily practice for me. Poetry is sort of a a burst. Um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll write a poem when I, I guess when I feel like writing a poem. Um, 
the revision practice is very, very different. You know, fiction for me is it's it's a daily practice. So every day I'm trying to do a little bit more, compose a little bit more, make a few changes. Poetry is much more. I will write it and then sit on it sometimes for years before coming back to it and looking at it from a new perspective. I think I'm, I'm sometimes composing poetry sort of in the moment. What's going on right now? And then I'm revising it sort of from the future. What's what's the wiser perspective looking back, maybe? Um, and so so poetry will sit and linger, and fiction is a is a much more um I think it was Faulkner who said something about bricklaying. You know, it's it's a craft you're 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 doing. Or no, I think Faulkner was dismissive of that idea. I like the I like the bricklaying metaphor. You know, you're kind of doing a little bit every day. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, uh, when it comes to fiction, are you a pantser or a plotter? <laughs> my my short answer is is yes. Um, <laughs> I, yes, I'm both of those things. Um, I I'm working on a, a a long novel right now, and I I spent probably at least two years, maybe a little more, um, plotting and outlining. I. I think because I had so much actually despite the subject matter, I had a lot of fun writing when fire splits the sky. Um, I sort of started it as an, as an outline. I wrote as, as a screenplay then um, because plotting was always like a weak point of mine. So I was going to work it on it in screenplay structure to just be thinking about that. Um, And then I slowly almost translated it into a novel and then revised and finished it as a novel. And I have stuck with that process since then of, you know, note-taking and outlining and then doing it as a screenplay and then slowly translating it into a novel. So I I plot and I plot and I plan. And I did that for the project I'm working on now for probably two years. And for the last year, as I've been working on it more in prose form, I'm kind of throwing out so many of the plans that I made. So there's a there's a back and forth between there's a period of time early on where I'm just sort of free associating and I'm writing, you know, what I what I feel deeply or or what comes to me. And then I'm trying to turn that into a more rigid outline of some kind. But there always has to be a little bit of both. I I personally can't write a scene if I don't know what's coming up next. Mm-hmm. But I also can't write a scene if I know exactly how everything else is going to go. So there's a, there's definitely a back and forth between plotting things and then throwing those plots out. Have there been times when uh, one of your characters kind of hijacks it and goes in a different direction and you, you got to roll with it? Yes, but I think I tend to be kind of a slow, many drafts writer. And so I usually can only recognize those things afterward when I go, something's not right. Like the the energy on this has just died. And then I can look back and I can go, okay, I think I'm forcing this character to take an action that they wouldn't take. So I usually, I'm kind of envious of the writers who say things like that. Like when my character just took over and I followed them, I think my characters recognize when I have taken over and then they slowly wrench control back after I sometimes have gone, you know, dozens of pages on with this story that just should not be happening the way it is. Yeah, you know, that's that's always so fascinating because, you know, I'm I'm a pantser. 
it's a lot easier to be a pantser when you're writing short stories and novels. But even on the, the novels that, that I'm working on, I, I have one that's coming out in June. I did tend to be a pantser with a whole lot of notes, with a spreadsheet and a whole lot of notes. But I, you know, it's sort of like, eh, I got a general idea of what's going to happen and probably how it's going to end. But I never did the blow by blow, scene by scene, because I thought, well, heck, if I'm going to go through all that trouble, why bother to write it? Now I know it happened. Absolutely. But- and I, I think sometimes, you know, I said earlier, I think sometimes that excitement of I'm not sure I can pull this off is what keeps me going through, you know, years long projects. I have I have one novel that I know what's going to happen and I know I can do it. And because of that, I think I have no energy to do it. I just don't care right now uh, to bring the thing into the world because I know what's going to happen. And I know that it's it's within my wheelhouse. I could probably pull it off. And I keep gravitating toward these projects that I'm going, I don't know that I can do this one. Let's find out. And then you sort of, you know, you sort of discover along the way. That's I think that's that's the thing. It's the creative excitement you Mm -hmm. know, of, of wondering whether it is, I don't know if I can do this technically, you know, from a technical standpoint, I don't know if I could do this emotionally because it is about a a topic maybe that I'm afraid of, or, you know, I'm not sure I can do it justice, but whatever it is, it's like, there's that part of you that's like, I don't know. And then the other part, oh, come on, you know, kind of, kind of pushing you and and I and I think that's I think that's what makes the best work though is when we push ourselves because otherwise it's sort of like yeah the same thing over and over again you're writing you you tweaked a few names and you tweaked a few places but it's the same old story right but when when we challenge ourselves that is when the best comes out of us Mm -hmm. I, I firmly believe that so let me ask you, um, what is the worst advice, if anybody has given you bad advice, what is the worst advice anybody gave you about being a writer? Anybody say anything to you that it's kind of like, wow, I wish they hadn't hadn't said that. It's not very encouraging. I think that it's a good question. Um. I think anytime, you know, you're getting advice that is sort of like we were talking about earlier, you know, sometimes we're, we're insecure creatures. And I think that's true uh, for the famous writers, just like it is for the rest of us. And so I think many of us are probably prone to, you know, you, you get talking, you get a microphone and then you kind of say some stuff that is meant to be advice, but kind of just shores up your own ego. Um, I, the, the one that stands out to me now probably stands out to me because it relates to the the project that I'm working on now, but there's one, you know, very famous author who I saw give an interview and he kind of said like, you can't do this. Um, and it's, it's what I was doing and I was kind of sitting there going, but I think I can. And here's all these examples of other people who have done it. And I love these stories and I love these books. So I think probably my general answer would be anytime, you know, authors are saying like, you can't do this. 
there's almost always an exception to that. And I think it's always, you know, the exceptions to that that break the rules that move genres forward. Um, and so any of the, those, um, you know, uh, G.C. Waldrep, um, the poet, teaches at, at Bucknell, which is right next to my high school. And so, you know, I've I've gotten to meet him a few times and he's come in to talk to my classes. And uh, he, he talked somewhere about like authors who are who he felt like sort of enclosed his creative energy and authors who sort of opened his creative energy. Um, and I think any advice that's going to sort of close off people's creative energy. And, you know, look, I know that some things are going to make a project a harder sell. But that doesn't mean it's not the right thing for the project. And so any advice that does that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not a fan of. As far as really good advice, um, I don't know. There's just there's been so much. Um, I think, you know, you, you definitely have to discover some things yourself along the way. But I've been really lucky to have just so many mentor writers and mentor figures kind of pushing me forward through my whole um writing energy um or pushing forward my energy through that whole writing journey um i'll i'll i the 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 one that stands out was actually one of my high school teachers um chris kinden who you know I, I just got to see her again she came to like the 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 book launch that i had back in november um but she just took some of my early writing very seriously and it was not good but she took it seriously and i think seeing somebody um, you know, and my, my parents did the same thing, but you, you sort of feel like your parents are contractually obligated to take your writing seriously. So seeing seeing somebody uh, who I who sort of at the time I felt like, well, this is this this teacher's taking my writing seriously. Maybe I should take it seriously, too. Um, what that, that was a big early moment for me as a writer. That, and that is so important. Um, you know, you, you're right. You You kind of expect your friends, your family to pat you on the bed and say it's best thing since sliced bread. But when somebody, not only somebody whose opinion you respect, but somebody who does not have to say a good thing, they're not obligated to shore up your ego. And when they say, this isn't, you know, this, this is pretty good, or this could work. Even if they say this could work, if you do X, Y, Z, if you spend a little more time on it, if you, you know, enlarge this part or reduce that part. But this has potential. I, I think when people hear that, it's like, wow, somebody said it has potential. By extension, I have potential as a writer. You know, then it is, it especially in the early days, you know, it, it just becomes one of those big moments. I mean, I... I wrote for years. I wrote for years, right? And it was so long ago we used typewriters. Um, but I mean, I have folders full, but I never let anybody read it because because it never occurred to me to even share it. It was just, these are just stories that came into my head and I wrote them down and everything. And I still remember when my my very first piece of short fiction was accepted I must have read that that was still when you sent the self-addressed stamped envelope and got it this how long ago it was. Um, but honestly, I read that acceptance letter so many times and I was sure they sent it to me by mistake. <laughs> I was sure. It was like, even though it was addressed to me and it named the short story, but it was like, 
Wow. Somebody, I mean, you didn't get paid for it, but it was, it was just the idea that it was that validation Mm -hmm. of, of somebody thought it was worth their time to read and then worth whatever was involved in actually putting it in this publication. That was, that was huge because until up until that point, you know, nobody saw my stuff. You know, I I was writing professionally for newspapers and magazines, but that was what I call work writing. Okay, mm-hmm. that wasn't my writing, and it and it is when somebody says something to you. I and I think I think people need to be more aware of that. And if they have somebody creative, whether they're writers, uh, artists, whatever, if they have somebody in in their family or whatever who is creative. It's amazing how just a few words can make such a difference. And and we hold those words. We keep those words. You know, it is it is it's something we keep going back to. I I I don't want to generalize, but I, I just have always thought, uh, you know, I would I would bet that most of us that are still doing this are doing this because someone along the way told us we were good at it. Um Many of us probably even when we were not, but somebody told us we were good at it. And I try to be very conscious of that, Um, you know, as a teacher, as somebody who works with other writers, as somebody who encounters other writers, um, you know, we are all at different stages of that. And, um, you know, it's uh, I can just look back and see so many people who have sort of carried me up to this point. Yeah. And that, that is, that is so important. Well, this, this really brings us to my always, what is my last question of the interview, which is how do you define success as a writer? What makes you feel successful as a writer? I think I always, I always come back to the project. Uh, I think that what makes me feel successful and how I define success is always going to be defined by the things that I have some sort of control over. Um, You know, connecting with readers is fantastic. Uh, You know, getting to do things like have conversations like this is fantastic. Um, But ultimately, they're not things that I have control over. Um, And so for me, the beginning and end of the day is always the project itself. Um, You know, for example, I cannot tell you the personal and professional trepidation that I felt at the beginning of when fire splits the sky. And so success for me was getting to the end and going, this is the book that I wanted to write. I didn't know that I could do it. I didn't know if I could do it as a writer. I didn't know if I could do it as a person, but I did. And I got to the end and I felt successful as a writer. It found a publisher. It's found readers. You know, I've gotten a a great reception to it. And that's all wonderful, but that's not uh, what has made it a successful project. What has made it a successful project was just, you know, bringing it into the world. Um, and it's it's long gestation um, and all that work along the way. So I think that's always going to be what it is, um, is just the 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 dedication, um, you know, these sort of iterations of work that you put in day after day after day um, for a project to eventually exist, whether that exists in a drawer, whether it's something, um, you know, that exists in the world. I think I felt successful. You know, I, I said in the the one interview that 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 you pulled from um you know, I wanted one person to read this. And so even when I was submitting it to people, I think in the back of my head, I was trying to remind myself, hey, somebody's reading it. They may read it and, and reject it, but I'm getting to share this project 
with people, whether it gets published, you know, in a book or not. And then at the end of the day, I was very fortunate that it did find a wonderful home. Uh, but yeah, I, I think success is always uh, the the project itself. Well, I, I think that is an absolutely wonderful concept that we all should take, uh, keep in mind because, because there are going to be things that, that we write that never find a public home, but we know every time we look at them, this turned out good. I'm happy with this. Maybe, maybe I just haven't found the right place for it, but the piece itself is what I wanted it to be. And, and I think that is where we have to, you're right. I think that is always where we have to come to because if we write something and we're not happy with it, even if it gets published, we're never really happy about it. But when we write something and we feel like we've said what we wanted to say in the best way that we could, and and we're we're never a hundred percent happy, but we're like 98% happy with what we wrote. <laughs> and you know, then then it's like it's that sense of completion, mm. you know, that this is what I was meant to write at this particular time. And and I think I think we need to to remember that because too often success is judged by awards and reviews and God knows money. And but that's not necessarily what should be our determinant of whether or not we were successful. It should be, how do we feel about it? You know, how, how are we happy with what we did? And, you know, you, we, we all know if, if it is just about something like money, there's much more efficient ways to, to make some money than to write a book. Uh, it's, it's not the best hourly rate. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's, it's a negative half the time. There's got to be, a, you know, some other kind of, you know, like I've, you're you're hopefully going to do this whether you get paid for it or not. Um, and so it's it's got to ultimately be about some kind of, you know, artistic vision, artistic integrity, um, you know, what's bringing you alive as a creator. And uh, and so that's that's where I try to keep my focus. Well, I have really loved having you on the show, Tyler. This has just been a fascinating discussion. We've covered so many different topics. And, you know, I'm I'm really anxious for, for when your next book comes out to check it out and see how it is. Well, wonderful. Thank you, Nancy, so much. It's been a, it's been wonderful being here. Well, it, it was just great. So thanks again for being on the show. And thanks to everyone who joined us here at Living the Writing Life.